I'm laying out here in the sun. Oh, Bill T is in the distance. Luna just left my side to go hang out with Bill T. <clears throat> I'm reminded of a story. <clears throat> Music story. I like to tell these stories because when I, if and when my brain ever forgets them, I can go back and listen to them. Um, I went to Grove School of Music and majored in bass. And I studied bass under Joel DeBartolo, who was the bass player for Johnny Carson for many years, the Tonight Show band. And um, he also gave Flea from the Chili Peppers and Red Hot Chili Peppers and um, uh, Jaco Pistorius. He's given them some bass lessons as well. So, um, But my story does not only begins there. <laughs> um, I lived in Burbank at the time and the school was in Van Nuys and I had sold my car of course so I could live on the, the money. had a pretty nice car so I got some good money for that lived on that money while I went to uh, music school. And I had to ride my bike back and forth. And carrying a big old bass guitars and all the books was really a pain in the ass. Even dangerous. Um, so eventually, I figured something out. I had an ukulele, and like a bass, that had four strings. And so I played, I, I, I tuned the ukulele. Um, the same to the bass and started bringing my ukulele to class. Well, Joel DeBarlow, J Joel? John DeBarlow? Joel DeBarlow. Oh my God. Brain's all, I'm glad I'm telling this story. My brain's already slipping. <laughs> Look at Luna. She seems to be liking this story too. Yeah, so uh, Joel DeBarlow did not like that. He um, felt that I should be bringing a bass. And looking back, of course, he was right, but man, I didn't really have much choice. I kind of made some decisions that had me <laughs> really needing to use the ukulele instead of the bass. So I was persistent. There were no rules. He couldn't, you know, kick me out of school or anything uh, just for using a ukulele instead of a bass. Um, but then there was also another element that made him uh, dislike me more than everyone else. <laughs> no, actually, he loved his whole class. He just disliked me, and for good reason, I guess. But something that I also did was, um, i tell a little backstory before I even say this. I felt that in college that it was mostly like a pickup scene, you know, people just picking, uh, you know, th as a big part of colleges, you know, people trying to pick up or get picked up, hook up. Yeah, that's the word I'm lo looking for, hooking up. And um, I really despise this because, um, you know, I wanted to learn. I really did want to learn stuff. I'm very serious about learning stuff. I even I even... Uh, uh, played hooky in high school so I can 
go read my books. That's how distracted I was by school. <laughs> now I'd read the school books too. You know, I would just I went went to study and learn on my own because there wasn't so many distractions. So I had the same sort of thing going on. I had already been in uh, uh, college, and um, so this was a, a change of. Uh, is, this was another college I was in, so I wanted to I wanted to sort of uh, make a statement and also make an impact uh, in that uh, sense of college being just a hookup place. So I pasted a bunch of vaginas all over my books and my notebooks, and uh, yeah, that appalled everyone. <laughs> okay, I got finished telling the story. So yes, had vaginas plastered all over my books, whatnot. So that pretty much repelled everyone. That wasn't serious. The people that were serious about music, they, they actually, uh, you know, talked to me. Not to say that our teachers weren't. It didn't seem to bother anybody really outright. I gotta say, it didn't seem to bother anybody outright, except for my bass teacher. Um, so now, how did I know that he hated me? Because he invited everybody to his house for Thanksgiving, except for me. Like, you are not invited. <laughs> So, uh, there it is. That's my music school. Ooh, tea. I just told my music school story. Well, you'll have to hear it now. <coughs> is that tea for me? Thank you. Would you like to join us uh, in our... A group here. We have a little group circle going on out here in the front yard. Luna might let you sit next to her. <laughs> Luna never looks in. Luna, so. you're facing the outside of the circle. <laughs> yeah, it's because you're supposed to scratch her ass. Everyone in the circle is supposed to scratch her ass. You get yes, you, 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 yes. You have a choice. I'll kiss you or I'll bite you. It's up to you. You got to. <laughs> Luna, you can't have the tea. She's very excited this morning. Is that beer? I'll have it. Yeah. Everybody's home. I know. All three of us petting the Luna dog. She just couldn't be more happy. Yeah. So, well, in short, the the uh, the music school story. Is titled Vaginas. No, what is it titled? Um, oh, ukuleles and vaginas. No, ukulele and vaginas. That's it. Because in, well, I won't tell the story again. So there it is. That's that story. <laughs> Integrity Radio. No sooner do I learn the definition of rumination. And then become overwhelmed with rumination. So to that end, I'm going to focus on Kurtz.
proof of the existence of God. Now understand before I go here that if you believe in God, there is no argument. I have no argument with you. However, if you are trying to prove that God exists, well, then you have some work to do. God, as we know God, is an idea that's at least 2,000 years old. And it's an idea that has never been proved. Now, Kurt's proof of God is what is called the first cause argument. It's also called the cosmological ar argument. There's at least six problems with the first cause argument. Six very common problems with the first cause hypothesis. The first problem is what's called special pleading. There is a great website out there. You could look it up yourself. And I'm going to read from uh, this website specifically. Um, it says what I need to say a lot better than I will. But I am citing rationalwiki.org. Rationalwiki.org. Now, I'm not going to go into special detail of each problem. I'll just give you a synopsis. Special pleading. That many people using this argument would consider God exempt from various requirements is a foregone conclusion. But citing special pleading because finite causal chains are said to have an uncaused beginning is hardly a convincing objection. Again, causal, finite causal chains are said to have an uncaused beginning. Now, listen, that's hardly a convincing objection. So, Kurt, for me to accept your premise, I would have to, well, accept your premise, which is your first statement, that there has to be a cause. Okay, I guess I'm not really reading so much from Rational Wiki. Um, power quoting, maybe. Yeah, there we go. Now, the next problem with a um, with the first cause argument is which God? That's Randy's favorite retort. When someone says, do you believe in God? Randy says, which God? Because there are so many gods. So which God are you referring to? Oh, and I like this little blurb on uh, Rational Wiki. Why not a God that sends Christians to hell and atheists to heaven? There's a thought. And then also, why not the Big Bang as a first cause? Why God? Why not a Big Bang? So there's nothing in the argument that would allow one to determine any attributes of the first cause. The next problem is multiple causes. Who's to say if you're going to take on the first cause, then who's to say there aren't multiple causes? Which, of course, could uh, lead you to polytheism. Now, you mentioned um, the laws of thermodynamics. But, you know, we're uh, a few years away from Faraday and Maxwell. And there have been more advances that elude to the opposite of what you're alluding to. 
Now, I'm not going to go into it, but one of the problems with first cause is radioactive decay. Why am I not going to go into it? Because I'm not a physicist. So, um, but essentially, it's a matter of not being able to determine which molecules will decay. Again, if you really want to wrap your brain around something like this, you have to read Lawrence Krauss's Something from Nothing. There you go, Lawrence. Another book plug for you. Scientifically speaking, another problem is virtual particles. Uh, if you've heard anything of the Casimir effect or the Hawking radiation, then you'll know what I'm talking about. All right, I'll continue this. Okay, this is the trouble with the first cause argument, part two. We were talking about virtual particles. Uh, again, I'm not a particle physicist, so I'm not going to go uh, deep into virtual particles, but I'll just mention it. You can look it up yourself. Virtual particles, another counter example of first cause is the spontaneous generation of virtual particles, which randomly appear even in complete vacuum. Yeah, what the heck, I'll read the whole part. It says these particles are, are responsible for the Casimir effect and the Hawking radiation. The release of such radiation comes in the form of gamma rays, which we now know from experiment are simply a very energetic form of light at the extreme end of the electromagnetic spectrum. Consequently, as long as there have been vacuum, there has been light, even if it's not the light that our eyes are equipped to see. What this means is that long before God is ever purported to have said, let there be light, the universe was already filled with light, and God is rendered quite the Johnny-come-lately. Furthermore, this phenomenon is subject to the same objection as radioactive decay. Now here's the thing, just because you read that a science says this or a scientist says that, um, it doesn't mean that you just accept it. What you do is you look into it and you see if it's feasible. And if it's feasible, meaning, okay, it, uh, uh, demonstrate what you can do with it. You know, like electricity or, or the concept of a machine. What is it that you can do? I, I, I won't understand exactly how the machine works, but when you prove to me that the machine works and show me the machine the machine working, then that gives me the information I need. Now, as far as physics, science go, the technology that we have in our hands is the proof. I don't understand how this phone works, but it does work. And I believe the people that made the phone when they explained to me how it works, even though I still don't understand. I trust them. There's where my trust and faith lies. And I don't trust scientists and doctors blindly, not at all. I treat them just like human beings, and, and each one is considered separately on their own merit. I don't put all scientists together in one lump. I don't put all blacks in together in one lump. I don't, I don't do this sort of separation thing. So again, do your research, and if you disagree, you're going to have to prove that your cell phone doesn't work. Again, read for yourself more about virtual particles. Uh, it's uh, fascinating. 
way more fascinating than the Bible or any of that stuff. And the last problem, and I actually mentioned this uh, last night, is the fallacy of composition. What that means is, the argument also suffers from the fallacy of composition. What is true of a member of a group is not necessarily true for the group as a whole. Just because most things within the universe require a cause, causes, does not mean that the universe itself requires a cause. Yes, I mean, remember, when you start looking into quantum physics... All right, well, let me just put it this way. If you meet a qualified quantum physicist, they will tell you that anyone that says they understand quantum physics is lying. Another person and family friend that you might want to look into is the late Richard Feynman. And again, if the cosmological argument is your argument, then these are the people you really need to read and research because they are on the cutting edge and have committed their lives to this research. Now, there are other arguments for God. The argument from beauty, argument from design, argument from fine-tuning, argument from morality. But I would like to talk next about what's called the ontological argument, mostly because that's a big word, ontological. Jesus. All right, before I go into the ontological argument, I would like to sort of give my own perspective here before I lose it. Quantum physics and um, astrophysics are the study of the really, really small and the really, really big. I find it interesting that people, humans, like to somehow equate the laws of the huge and the laws of the very small to be the same as the laws that we have to follow in order to survive. I mean, if we go just, oh, not very far down under the ocean, we will die. If we go too far up, like at the top of a mountain, for instance, uh, yeah, Mount Everest will kill you. Those environments, those extreme environments will kill you. Those laws are not the laws that we can survive. As humans, we exist in just a very, very thin layer of atmosphere. For instance, if the earth were the same size as a marble, if you breathed on that marble, the condensation on that marble would be massively deeper than our oceans. If you were to look at that marble closely, you would find out that there are actually grooves and, and, and pits inside uh, of the surface. And if it were the same size as the earth, those grooves and pits would be larger, massively larger than any of our mountains. So in other words, you really have to maintain perspective when you start thinking about particle physics and astrophysics. And if you're going to say that God is the first cause, then really you're, that's, a, that's a great downgrade from what most people think of God as being. In other words, there are very elementary things that happen. Okay, okay, I'll go on to and finish the ontological argument. 
The ontological argument attempts to prove that a maximally great entity, which always turns out to be the god of the arguer's religion, must, by definition, exist. All known attempts to make the ontological argument have been plagued by numerous show-stopping logical errors, obviously. It is also important to remember that ontological arguments are only being attempted in the first place due to the complete absence of evidence for the existence of God in the natural world. As a last desperate, last-ditch effort to keep the God hypothesis relevant. Naturally, this is a fallacy in itself, because even if God could be shown to exist deductively, that would by, nece that would by necessity pose all the other problems which have already been identified in the face of the faithful always having assumed God's existence anyways. So in other words, even if God existed, you have already assumed that God existed. So you didn't prove it. You just assumed it. Again, that's why I don't mess with anyone that has faith or um, believes. Because, you know, with indoctrination, that's a hard thing to um, have control of. But when you start saying you have proof that God exists, well, one, I kind of like to hear it, but two, you're going to have to stray away from all the historical arguments that have already been postulated for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So I want to thank Kurt for um, taking the time out and to engage in this friendly little debate. You know, I really can't tell you how impressed I am with people that are willing to question their beliefs, they're willing to question their biases, because you are the folks that are doing the real work of helping us to attain our humanity. Remember, we're the symbiosis. We can't do this by ourselves. Integrity Radio. You know, it's easy to give the lip service of love. And, you know, it's wonderful to hear the words love. And it's wonderful to say the words love and that you love. However, saying and thinking that you love someone is different than showing them and exercising your love and caring and devotion and concern. And yes, there are many different levels of love. And love is subject to subjectivity, for sure. I guess what I'm just saying is, is showing your love is a lot more challenging than just giving lip service. Oh, if it were just that easy.
Shibriwa, Papara 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 Shibriwa, science to give all the answers to the wonderful questions about what we are, where we're going, what the meaning of the universe is, and so on, then I think you could easily become disillusioned and then look for some mystic answer to these problems. We're exploring, we're trying to find out as much as we can about the world. People say to me, are you looking for the ultimate uh, laws of physics? No, I'm not. I'm just looking to find out more about the world. And if it turns out there is a simple ultimate law that explains everything, so be it. That would be very nice to discover. If it turns out it's like an onion with millions of layers and we're just sick and tired of looking at the layers, then that's the way it is. But whatever way it comes out, its nature is there and she's going to come out the way she is. And therefore, when we go to investigate it, we shouldn't pre-decide what it is we're trying to do except to find out more about it. And so altogether, I can't believe the special stories that have been made up about our relationship to the universe at large because they seem to be too local, too provincial. The earth, he came to the earth. One of the aspects of God came to the earth, mind you. And look at what's out there. How can he... It isn't in proportion. It also, another thing, uh, has to do with the question of how do you find out if something's true? And if you have all these theories of, of the different religions, have all different theories about the thing, then you begin to wonder, once you start doubting, which I think is, to me is a very fundamental part of my soul, is to doubt and to ask. And when you doubt and ask, it gets a little harder to believe. I can live with doubt and uncertainty and not knowing. I think it's much more interesting to live not knowing than to have answers which might be wrong. I have approximate answers and possible beliefs and different degrees of certainty about different things, but I'm not absolutely sure of anything, and there are many things I don't know anything about. But I don't have to know an answer. I don't, have, I don't feel frightened by not knowing things, by being lost in the mysterious universe without having any purpose, which is the way it really is, as far as I can tell, possibly. It doesn't frighten me. Hey, baby. Vegas. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Yeah? Yeah, I have pictures. Is that a sketchbook? Yeah. Finally putting my art major to use. There's the pool. <laughs> the club. <laughs> it's the after party. Selfie! I have so many selfies in here. Yeah. Oh, shopping. Oh, she's gonna hate that picture. She looks terrible. Anxiety. Have you ever heard of the term rumination? Rumination or ruminating is something a cow does when it chews its food over and over again. 
We depressives are very much like cows in that we don't chew our food over and over again, but we chew our thoughts over and over again. We ruminate on our thoughts, and most of these thoughts are negative. For example, have you ever uh, caught yourself thinking about the same thing over and over and over again? It could be the breakup of a marriage or a, a job loss or a bad investment you made that went south. Just chewing these things in your mind over and over again digs you deeper into a hole. It actually reinforces circuits in your brain that are negative and makes you hard to get out of that hole that you've dug for yourself by chewing over those thoughts again and again and again. Visual analogy of this process is imagine digging a ditch and you're in the dish and you dig and you dig and you dig and the more you dig, the bigger the ditch comes becomes and the more you're stuck in it. So that's what ruminating does, it's digging yourself into a ditch. Now if you're someone who does something like this, I have good news, there's a very simple two-step process from a book called The Depression Cure that I just read about that I want to share with you right now. Step one, become aware of when you're ruminating. Develop an awareness of the rumination process. You can do this by having a smartphone or um, a timer. Set it to ring once an hour, and every hour check in with yourself and say, how much have I been ruminating the last 60 minutes? And put it on a 1 to 10 scale. So for example, if you've been lying in bed thinking about you know, your relationship breakup for 50 minutes out of the 60, you'd give yourself an 8. On the other hand, if you've been having a tea with a friend in the afternoon, your rumination might only be a 2. Uh, so again, the first step is to become aware, develop an awareness of when you're ruminating and how deeply you're doing it. This leads to step two. Okay, you become aware of ruminating, you know, when you're doing it, what you're ruminating on. You're aware of the habit that's, you know, got you. You're aware of the ditch that you've dug yourself into. Step two is based on a very simple but powerful fact. That is that people tend to ruminate and tend to feel the worst when they have nothing else to occupy their attention. I'm going to repeat that again. People tend to ruminate the most when they have nothing else to occupy their attention. You know how they say nature abhors a vacuum? Well, if there's a vacuum, your mind is going to go straight to rumination. So this means that the key to breaking the rumination habit is to turn your attention away from the inner world of thoughts and memories to the outer world of people and activities. Repeat that again. Turn your mind, turn your attention, turn your focus away from the internal world of thoughts and memories to the outside world of people and activities. It's that simple. And if you start to develop that habit, you will start to break the rumination process. So now we see the reason why the depressed person's natural attempt to withdraw and to isolate is so harmful and counterproductive. Because they withdraw from the world of people, they withdraw from the world of activities, and this automatically puts them in the spot of rumination. And so even though a lot of people feel they want to withdraw, they want to isolate, it's actually the worst thing they can do. Now, when it comes to activities, the best activities you can do are the ones that are shared with other people. Because we are mammals, we have an emotional connection to each other, we were raised as human beings in tribes. I'll do a whole other video on a book called The General Theory of Love. But basically, connection and intimacy lead to healing. Isolation leads to the exact opposite. Activities that maybe won't involve other people but are still taking you outside of yourself can involve listening to music, listening to a book on a tape, watching a video, or going for a walk in the park. In both of these cases, you're turning your attention away from the inner world into the world of activities and people, into the external environment instead of the internal environment. 
So either way you want to do it, doing some solitary activities or activities with other people, activities with other people is definitely going to be the best because other people draw you out of yourselves. Either way, do those types of things and you will tend to less ruminate and feel better. Uh, you might call these things distractions. There's nothing wrong with distractions watching a video when you feel bad as long as you don't overdo it and use it as a way to avoid the world or, or basically escape life. I believe it was Rembrandt that said, there is no one element of a painting that can define its beauty. My only argument with Rembrandt would be originality. What my buddies V calls rarity and what I geekishly title unique perspective. This is something that you have to develop. You can't just assume that you have unique perspective. You have to develop it every single day. If you don't develop unique perspective, you become disposable. If you give up your unique perspective, you become disposable. If you do not develop your unique perspective every day, you become disposable. In a world where there is no free will, the only luxury that we have, the only freedom that we really have, is to see things through our unique perspective. And those thoughts and ideas are the only thing that are truly ours. My good buddy Mark said that I remind him of a mirror, that I'm like a mirror, that I tend to reflect back what people are giving me. Funny thing is, I actually used to be a mime. No, I'm not kidding you, a professional mime. I almost studied with Marcel Marceau, I had the opportunity, but I declined. So we may not have free will, but we do have limited choice, and that limited choice is how you think. It's not what you think, it's how you think. If the powers that be can control how you think, then they can certainly manipulate what you think. And I'm not trying to tell you how to think or what to think. I'm trying to get you to consider how you think. Okay, I'm only telling you how to think in reference to you should think how you should think. In other words, I'm only suggesting that you think through your own unique perspective. So I don't think that qualifies as me telling you how to think. Or even what to think. For instance, when people tell me about their beliefs, their spirituality, um, or their religious uh, convictions, I'm never hearing any unique perspective. Never do I hear a unique perspective. It's always a reiteration of the religious dogma or the spiritual or the philosophical dogma that's in vogue. Neil deGrasse Tyson does not disbelieve God. However, he's sick of God because, and I understand, because, come on, thousands and thousands of years with this God concept, can we come up with up with some other concepts, please?
And again, I have no problems with believing in God. None whatsoever. But if you say you have proof of God, you better be strong in your evidence. If you want to convince me or any other logical thinking human. I have a story I'd like to tell. I don't know if I have enough time to tell it. I think I'll tell it in the next segment. It's regarding painting. I wonder if the anchorite positive psychology would be able to clarify this. A few years back, I started painting. I didn't know how to paint. I've never had lessons, never even had an interest in painting. But a few years back, I just kind of picked it up. And um, I figured, yeah, yeah, I'll do some abstract, you know, abstract art. That should be easy, right? You just kind of throw paint around and when it looks good, you stop. So, uh, so yeah, I got some paints, started painting, started doing some abstracts. Um, I got really into it, really, really into it. Um, I mean, just paint everywhere and hours and hours, just days really of just painting. And, um, and I produced some very interesting, um, pieces. However, I found that I had run short, like I started repeating. And that's something I didn't want to do. I didn't, you know, it's abstract. If you repeat something, it can't be abstract when you start repeating it. So I didn't want to keep repeating myself. And this was a dilemma. And so, uh, I, you know, I do the usual thing, start researching, go YouTube. Um, and I found, or I heard that if you want to be a good abstract artist, then you should do realism. So I started drawing and um, I started drawing realism and, uh, and then started painting realism. Uh, I tried <laughs> ignorantly and arrogantly, uh, tried to uh, paint, well, not tried, I did. I uh, reproduced Courbet's uh, Origins, uh, the French painter, uh, Gustave Courbet. Um, it turned out quite nicely. And again, this was all in my maybe first month of painting. To my surprise, I found the realism to be a lot easier um, than the abstract stuff. Well, now that I've been painting for a few years, I don't find any of them to be easier than the other. I mean, they're both challenging for me. Something that I did find in painting was um, courage. I never understood the term courage in relationship to art, and certainly not painting. But I have now <laughs> a firm understanding of what is meant by courage in painting and art. And again, that courage is the courage to be unique and to communicate your rarity. It takes courage. I've heard Zvi and I've heard recreate, uh, Lighthouse Reflections. Uh, I've heard both of them talk about this sort of courage and I believe we're on the same page on this. Have the courage to see through your own eyes. Have the courage to speak with your own tongue. Have the courage to be debunked. Have the courage to be shown wrong. 
have the courage to represent that 1% of uniqueness. You know, it's sort of like intelligence. Until someone opens up their mouth, you really have no idea. It's not until I've opened up my mouth that I found out if what I have to say is of any value, has truth. I verify all this through the symbiosis of communicating with other human beings. So we can't expect to exude rarity. This is exactly what we should be doing for each other, is debunking our, our facade, our delusion of originality, and nurture original thought. Hey Anchor, this is Z here, and well, ah, integrity, integrity, integrity. Um, I got, I got, I, I, I have a flavor to ask of you folks. If you've been following, you know that I love my wife, and I am 100% committed to her. I, there's no one in the world that I could possibly even consider. Um, she is my life mate, and uh, right, yeah. So, um, she went away to Vegas and uh, had to do some work out there and came back and um, then saw the posts that Lulu uh, had put and the posts that I had sent to Lulu. Um, this has gotten misconstrued by folks um, and it's really disconcerting because, you know, I really am, I'm not up here to, uh, <laughs> to get laid or anything like that. I'm here to share my music and also to, um, you know, share the psychology of creativity. And that's my focus here. And so if anything, anything has been uh, misconstrued otherwise, and uh, it, be it my fault or not, uh, I want to make myself very clear that um, that's what I'm here for. And so um, I don't want anyone to... Um, you know, please. Right now I'm finding myself defending something that I don't need to defend. And it's a very unpleasant feeling. So, um, yeah, if you have any ideas, <laughs> send them along. Oh, dear listener. Thanks a lot. Z, Integrity Radio. I also need to uh, an open apology to my wife on one of my texts because um, reading it, um, I realized that in the uh, in just the stupidity of being me, I had uh, said to Lulu that uh, you know some people don't um, understand you know the uh, the music connection you know that music musicians have and. Uh, yeah, I just said the wrong thing, but it was, boy, was that the wrong thing. And let me tell you why, because uh, Ronnie is becoming a musician. She's actually studying music and working on music and becoming, uh, she's going to be a good musician. I have no doubts. Um, uh, I, I, and when I say musician, I'm not including myself in that. I'm a noisemaker. I am not a musician. I tried. I went to music school. Didn't work out. I didn't learn shit. I always knew music. It was in my blood. 
It's like martial arts. I'm, it's in my blood because I started fist fighting at the age of four. At that same time, I also started playing around with musical instruments. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very old now. If you've been playing around with things long enough, you figure them out, right? But I've never studied music. I've never become a musician. That's why I never made it. So anyway, here I am talking about integrity and whatnot, and this is called Integrity Radio, yet I guess I am not paying close enough attention to my interpersonal relationships with people. <sighs> so anyway, just in case you thought that uh, I was posing myself as a perfect person and you're considering perhaps hanging me on the cross, uh, you can cross that off your list now. But I tell you here and now, and I make this confession to the world, I love my wife, I love my kids, I would never do anything to jeopardize that. It would just, that's just not me. I'm too old for that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much busy taking care of business at home, uh, uh, securing my memoirs, and, uh, you know, I start digging my grave. So I don't really have that much time. Anyway, I hope this hasn't caused any more problems than necessary. I think I should probably end every segment with, hope this hasn't caused any unnecessary suffering. <laughs> I think that might be on my epitaph, too. Hmm, maybe not. Alright, well, bad things happen in secrecy, so I, uh, I'm just spelling them out. This may be TMI, like a classic case of TMI, maybe? I don't know. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully this will be helpful. Hopefully I haven't caused even more problems. Aloha.